good morning. It's the fourth Friday of January, January 22nd. Right now you're listening to Talking About Art. A doctor who told me I was going to die in a short period of time. In the second one, on a, an airplane, I got on an airplane and I delayed the flight by 45 minutes because they ran out of seat belt extensions and the people around me were complaining that uh, this fat guy was going to basically make them miss their connection and I felt really bad about that you know if, if you well that all sounds pretty thought-provoking Yes, and it's also art-provoking, too, as in authoring a book and creating visual art as well. On this morning's program, we are all about the 5th Annual Salem Reads event put on throughout the month of February by the Salem Public Library Foundation. And it begins with the interview I did with this year's author of Salem Reads, their book of choice, Walking with Petey, by Eric O'Gray and followed by comments from the artists of Salem Reads. More on all of that later. Talking About Art is presented every second and fourth Fridays of the month and it's the mission of Talking About Art to be a resource for artists and all those who relish and support the arts in our community. Through our programming I wish to provide in-depth interviews and stories about the artists, writers and poets of our community and we reach a potential listening audience of over 300,000. We've been broadcasting Talking About Art for over eight years now with some 200 plus broadcasts in the KMUZ archives and they are all about Mid-Willamette Valley artists. By the way, this broadcast marks the 203rd broadcast on Talking About Art, and it is the 8th anniversary of the program on KMUZ. It was created by artist Eric West in January of 2013. My thanks and many thanks to Eric for kicking this all into gear, and I look forward to continuing Talking About Art for many episodes to come. Salem Reads is a community-wide reading project that invites the people of Salem to come together in person or virtually through reading, discussion, and programs based on the themes of a common book. The Salem Public Library Foundation funds this effort to foster community and invite people of diverse ages, backgrounds, and viewpoints to discuss compelling topics. And this year's book is titled Walking with Petey by Eric O'Gray. Let me just read this intro by Salem Reads. The book is Eric's memoir about being overworked, overweight, depressed, and sick. He went to a new doctor who surprisingly prescribed a shelter dog. And that's when Eric met Petey, an overweight, middle-aged and forgotten dog who, like Eric, had seen better days. The two adopted each other and began an incredible journey together, forming a, a bond of unconditional love that forever changed their lives. Walking with Petey is for everyone who knows the joy, love, and hope that dogs can bring. So let's start off by first getting to know Eric and about the reason he wrote his book, and then about his process of authorship of the book itself. 
then let's find out about Petey, the dog who saved his life. And finally, you'll hear comments from the artists of Salem Reads about how they were inspired to create their art for this year's event after reading Walking with Petey. I'll then close out by providing details about the Salem Reads event. Note, uh, just at the beginning, you'll hear my co-interviewer, Melanie Zermer, the host of Willamette Wake Up, conducting the interview with Eric. All right, so let's start with Eric, uh, where he opens by talking about the two defining moments that started him on his path. Listen in. Two defining moments. The first one, that doctor who told me I was going to die in a short period of time. And the second one, on a, an airplane, I got on an airplane and I delayed the flight by 45 minutes because they ran out of seatbelt extensions and the people around me were complaining that uh, this fat guy was going to basically make them miss their connection. And I felt really bad about that. You know, if, if you, you read up on this, when you have health problems, your main concern is how you are affecting other people's lives. That's, you feel guilt and shame for that. And I truly did in, in just the way that people look at you. So I, um, I went ahead and, uh, uh, when I got home, the very next day, what I saw was, uh, President Clinton being introduced by Wolf Blitzer. This was in August 2010, I believe. And he had just lost a lot of weight and he looked great and his, his face was like oval instead of round and he looked really healthy. And Wolf asked him what he did. And he said, well, I have these doctors that were involved in, in this book called the China study and they have me on a plant based diet. And, you know, it's been working really well. I've lost a lot of weight. My heart issues are, you know, remediated. Uh, he said he felt really good. And so I said, you know, I have at this point in my life been on 36 different, at least three dozen different, uh, diets. I mean, everything from Weight Watchers and Nutrisystems to everything. I mean, I tried and failed on everything. I cycled on and off Atkins for over 25 years and all I did was ever gain weight. So I said, he said a plant-based diet. I've never heard of this before. Is that something that might work for me? So I immediately got on the phone and got on Google and everything. And I Googled Clinton plant-based diet. Now, at the time, Google returned. This was in August 29. I swear this is true. Google returned. No search results found. Now, if you do that same search now, you're going to get over 30 million hits. And that's how far this has come along in just 10 years. And so I did find a a practitioner who knew what that was. And she said that that's what she practiced herself personally for her and her family. So she said, come in and, and sign me up. And I did. All right. And then when you met with her, she also gave you some other advice other than just eating a plant-based diet. So it was really remarkable because this new doctor, rather than spending five minutes with me and sending me out with a prescription, spent an hour and a half with me. And I was asking her, how can you afford to do this? She said, this is an initial consultation. And, uh, you know, I'm recommending that you purchase a series of weekly visits over the next year. Unfortunately, my insurance covered it. I only had a $25 per week copay, so it was very affordable. And at the end of this meeting, I could tell that she obviously cared about me. She wasn't in this for the money, and she really, truly wanted to help me. And I I really felt connected with her. And she said, I'm recommending two things for you. First, a plant-based diet. And second, I want you to go down to your local shelter and adopt a dog. And that kind of floored me because why is a doctor saying adopt a dog, right? It made no sense to me. I never heard of anything like that before. 
And she said, well, it's going to do several things for you. First of all, I had to admit my deepest, darkest secrets to this lady because she wanted to know my complete background. And I admitted I had stopped going outside altogether. I wasn't leaving my apartment at all. I hadn't been on a date in 15 years. And I'd completely, uh, my life was just a mess. And she said, the dog's going to force you to go outside. You're going to get, you know, sun on your skin. You're actually going to probably meet and interact with people, which is something that you need for your mental health and like all these issues. So I decided that I was going to do exactly what she said because she seemed to care about me. Nothing else had worked. So this was, this was, you know, something that, wow, this is new. I'll try this. Physicians come across very clinical and impersonal. They see a lot of death and a lot of hardship and a lot of medical problems and this person actually, you know, touched my heart and I could tell that she cared about me. So I said, wow. So I'm going to do, I committed to her that I was going to do exactly what she said. I mean, exactly. And so now you've met Eric, middle-aged, dangerously overweight, but now faced with the string of discouragements determines who changes life. What he finds is a doctor who cares about him and his personal well-being and who doesn't take the medical road all too well-traveled, but instead prescribes two extraordinary remedies, a radical change in diet and exercise, and brilliantly, a fellow canine being that will help him exercise and to be accountable too. Welcome in, Petey. So after I went home from Dr. Preeti, my my doctor, and I started researching, I lived in San Jose, California at the time. So I, I thought, okay, where do I adopt a dog? And I looked and there's a huge shelter called Humane Society Silicon Valley. And so I looked on their website and had all kinds of dogs. They had dozens and dozens of dogs and had big ones and small ones and just a, a tremendous thing of dogs. So I, I decided, I called down there and I said, you know, I, uh, I'm looking to adopt a dog, uh, and the dog that I want, I'm looking for an obese middle-aged dog so we have something in common. And therefore, they said, you know, I, I think that we have the perfect dog for you. Come on down. So I did, and I talked to their adoption coordinator. But before they would allow me to speak to meet one of their animals, they first had to do a very intense qualifying process that was even more intensive than going to the doctor for the first time. And they let me know that, you know, if you adopt one of our dogs, this is not like a tryout. You know, these these are abused dogs and they're homeless dogs. And this is a permanent thing. This is a member of your family. You can't, there's no take backs on this. And once I agreed, then they agreed to show me the dog that they said was perfect for me. So they took me into an adoption room and they said, let, let us go get your dog. And so I'm sitting in the adoption room and from down the hall, it sounds like Godzilla is walking down the hall. There's this thud and heavy breathing and the clack of nails against concrete. And I go, wow, what's that? So in the room walks the most dog that was in the worst condition of any dog that I'd ever seen in my life. He was grossly overweight. He had skin problems. He just, you know, he was really messed up. And so they said, you know, I, I looked at the adoption coordinator and I was kind of surprised. And I said, well, where's my dog? <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I said that, Petey looked up at me and I could tell that he was as disappointed in me as I was oh. in him. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. so the adoption coordinator resold the whole thing. She said, look, you know, can you imagine any dog that you would have more in common with than this dog? And I, I couldn't <laughs> deny that. So 
I said, well, I guess this is my dog. So <laughs> we went home and I followed my doctor's advice, which was to walk for a half an hour twice a day in addition to being on a plant-based diet. And by doing those things, the first day we got about 100 yards, not far. We were heaving and huffing and puffing, got about 100 yards, and we just came back and we collapsed, me on the couch and Petey on the other side of the room. And we just, for the first three or four days, we just kind of like looked at each other skeptically from opposite sides of my apartment because we I didn't know what to make of him and he didn't know what to make of me. But on the third night, he hopped up on my bed with me and he put his head on my chest. And thereafter, we became so tremendously bonded. It was the greatest bond of brothership that I've ever felt or experienced in my entire life. And I just felt at the time that, you know, I have to do this for him because if I don't, I mean, if, if, if it doesn't work out and I don't fix my own life and I die or something like that, nobody's going to take him. They're just going to put him down. And right. I didn't want that to happen to him. So. Incredible, don't you think? It's touching to hear how the bond between them developed. So now with Eric's determination to change his life and with the help of a dog who mirrored Eric's own condition, they set out on many months of walking and exercising and losing pounds after pounds after pounds, meanwhile gaining a fullness of life that Eric and Petey perhaps had thought they could never have achieved. The book tells the details of the journey and I would heartily recommend you read it. So now you've met Eric and Petey. From here, I wanted to get to know Eric as a writer. How did the, how did the book come about? What obstacles did he encounter on his way to publishing? What advice would he give any of us who aspire to publish something that is so deeply personal? And so I asked him. Oh, and along the way, in the next clip, it's a video that goes viral he refers to and its importance to him in becoming a published writer. Listen in. I'd always wanted to write a book, but there was two things that kept me from doing that. In the first one, when I was in the second or third grade, I had a teacher that said you could never start a book with the word the. And that that traumatized me for life. And I actually, it sounds strange, but I went through and I was thinking, how can I start a, a, an entire book that didn't start with the word the? And, you know, the fix to that was I wrote the book and then I went back and changed the first sentence. So don't let that stop you. <laughs> the second uh, issue that always prevented me from doing that was it takes about a year to write a good book or, you know, at least six to 12 months. Typically, <clears throat> if you're going to produce something and you're going to take it through an editing process of 20 to 30 edits and you're really going to refine it and make it come out to be a really nice work, the best that you can be. That's a six to 12 month process and there's no way to shortcut that. So it's a tremendous amount of effort. And I always felt like if I went through that process and I couldn't sell the book, I would be devastated because it would be like wasting a year of my life. And what this opportunity with this film that came out and the uh, number of views was suddenly I had a huge audience. I mean, it was truly 15 minutes of fame as described by Andy Warhol. I was walking through airports and people were stopping me for my autograph and it was crazy. The New York Times 
came out with this and said that this was the number one news story in California for 2017. It was the number one video news story. The New York Times published this, my, my, my film. And it was like incredible. So that gave me the audience. And then I knew when the publisher said, yeah, we'll pay you to do this and we'll give you an advance. Then I knew that my, my issue wouldn't be wasted. So, uh, you know, unfortunately for authors, the hardest part is to get an agent because until you have an agent, no publisher will talk to you. In my case, the publisher said, we would like you to write a book, but can you go get an agent and then we'll deal with your agent and then we will, um, you know, work out the details and then you can write the book. And that's what I did. So that was, uh, that's how that worked. But a lot of people self-publish, uh, self-publishing is, you know, a huge risk. Of course, you're going to get all the money, but it's, you know, unless it's something extraordinary, it may just sit in Amazon and you might not get a whole lot for it. So if you, what I'm saying is if you have a burning desire to write a book, I think you should write a book, but you should write a book with the knowledge beforehand that it's a huge risk of time unless you have an agent and an agent is going to be attracted to you if you have a large audience and following. So if you get the large audience and following first, like in my case, the other thing that I did was to develop a fairly large audience was after I lost my weight, I went and I started speaking at small groups like uh, weight loss groups, recovery groups, church groups, anybody that would listen to me. And sometimes there was only one or two people in the audience. But, you know, usually my gigs grew. And over time, you know, I had like a, a, a speaking sort of career going. And what happened then was I developed a following that way. And that also helped to sell the book. So the point is this. If you can get a following by practicing your art in developing a following, then it'll be a lot easier for you to get an agent and sell a book if that's what you want to do. So don't just try to do the book first. Develop the following first is my best business advice to any aspiring author or artist. We chattered a bit about his favorite part of writing. It happens to be when he began to create his audio book. Listen to this. Only throws out a kind of a pro tip for recording toward the end of the clip. That's kind of fun. Listen in. The most artistic thing that I did was recording the audio book associating uh, so for my book. The publisher asked whether I'd like to do it, and I said, heck yes. So they set me up with a recording studio, and I walk into this recording studio after the book is <clears> – <throat> is in the can and we're waiting on the publication date. I go into the recording studio and there's a couple of engineers and a producer and they have this lavish setup and this, you know, I'm in this room that looks like, you know, egg curtains on the wall and everything. It's just crazy. And all this fancy microphone stuff that I'd never seen before. And I sit down and they look at me like, okay, we're ready. And I said, well, how do I do this? And they said, any way that you want, man. <laughs> I said, wow. So I decided at that split second that I was going to read the book dramatically exactly as I remembered it happening and using the same kind of voice tones and everything else that occurred as I was, uh, as, as I wrote about in the book. So the book is a dramatic reading and the, uh, the publisher loved it so much on the recording that they decided to annotate it with animal sounds. So when there's a uh, uh, like a flock of geese taking off, Petey chasing them in the mark in the park, that sound is in the book that it's associated with it. When there's a dog barking, 
that I write about a dog barking in the book. There's a dog barking on the audio. So it was just an extraordinary experience. And they said, normally they don't do that, but they really liked it. They felt that they really liked the way that it came out. So okay. I, I loved it. And it was three days in a, in a studio and just uh, a pro tip. If your voice ever gets hoarse from recording for three days in a studio, the best remedy is a green apples. That's what they use to refresh your, your mouth and hydrate and everything and free up your vocal cords. You know, while writing itself is often a solo endeavor, oftentimes other people who know a thing or two about what we're trying to achieve are called upon to lend a hand. I asked Eric if anyone helped in his process. So I got a, uh, a co-writer, and what I did and how this worked out, his name is Mark D'Agostino, and he does inspirational stories. He did the book on, on Rudy, the Notre Dame football guy on, yeah. on that movie. So he, he's done books with Hulk Hogan and various other people. So he's very well known. He's a really super nice guy. And what the reason I got a co-author on this was I wrote the entire thing pretty much. And then what I got him to do was go back and reformat it and add his like professional information and everything. So I wrote everything out. I didn't know how to do it any better the only way that I knew how to tell a story was chronologically from beginning to end. And what he did was he took like a lot of what I did. He added his own stuff and he turned it more into like a, a dramatic cinema, cinematic cinematic movie. He took stuff from two thirds of the way in and he put it in the beginning and uh, just didn't tell it like all in a row. It's broken up so that you're going back and forth in the book. And I believe it's a lot more interesting that way. And I didn't know how to do that. So part of this process for me was um, really developing an understanding and is a great education in the American publishing industry and how to write a book with world class professionals helping me. So mm -hmm. it was a, it was a wonderful experience for that. It was a great educational experience. dry spells, that dreaded white page that sits waiting in front of you and not an inspiration in sight. So Eric, how do you handle dry spells? Well, as it turns out, dry spells aren't the issue. However, my biggest problem is procrastination and uh, wanting to do other things and sitting in front of a computer and getting on my smartphone and playing with Facebook and things of that nature. <clears throat> and so somebody, I ran into somebody and she's a friend of mine. She's also an author. And she's, she told me that what worked best for her was to get up at 6 a.m. every morning and force herself to write for two hours with a door shut to her office and no electronics in the room, just her computer, just writing. And that was it. And she was able to get through her book in six months, uh, you know, for the first edit by doing that. And I thought, well, that seems like that would work. So rather than just kind of like sit there for a long time and start playing with whatever's on your desk and your, your personal devices, block off a period per day and force yourself to commit to writing during that period. And you will get it done if you do that. Well, so there you go. Maybe your own cure for dry spells when it comes to writing or creating art is simply a matter of discipline and determination. 
When you and I as artists create our work and start to get it out there, we deal with a storm of oscillations between absolute dread and, and wild euphoria. Is it good enough? How shall I price it? Will people like it? Eric hadn't written a book before, and so I asked him how he handled the inevitable negative reviews. And just as an aside, towards the end, we had segued onto more of a healthy living track, which I did not include here. We talked about how our artistic lives are also affected by our physical lives. So he provides some sage advice near the end about keeping a balance between the two. And that's what you hear. Oh, I got to tell you something. This is a great question. This is wonderful interviewing, by the way. And l- let me tell you something. The worst review that I ever got on Amazon was from a book that I donated to my local library when I was living in Garden City, Idaho. You know, I, I moved to first Washington and then Idaho after the book was published. And it was just ex- excoriating against me. And I thought, you know, I went out of my way to, you know, hit all the local libraries within, you know, the county that I was in. And this woman got my book, read it, and basically hated it because it wasn't all about a dog. It was about how to get healthy on a plant-based diet and, you know, really kind of take your life in control and do other things as well. I think she wanted a dog story. So that's actually the one that affected me most. But let me tell you, my policy was, and I feel really strongly about this, that If you are going to write a book, don't read any reviews for the first year uh, because they're they're devastating. They crush your heart and you put so much of your heart and soul into writing a book that when people say really mean and cruel things, as they will, because it's the Internet, that's just what happens. People are very cruel and they'll say things that will really affect you emotionally. So if you don't read those, you won't be affected by it. And then just kind of like catalog in a year, because what you'll find out in a year, as I did, was 90% of my reviews are really good. Still, my book has about 4.7 stars on Amazon. So I do have one stars, uh, but most most are five stars. And it's been a very supportive, wonderful group of people. I still get weekly fan mail, even after, you know, three, four years. And I get like a lot of correspondence from people who tell me I've had thousands of people tell me that they've adopted a dog because of my book, which makes me really happy and proud. And uh, something I, I really enjoy hearing from people or people say that, you know, I finally after reading your book, I finally got around to really deciding that I needed to do what you did, which was to take positive action in my life. And because sitting around and hoping that somebody something was going to change wasn't working. So maybe if I tried to develop a process and a program like you did, then this might work for me too, or something similar might work for me. So to go to a doctor, rather than just go to any doctor, you want to go to a doctor that specializes in patients and meets with them like every week or every couple of weeks to like find out what's working and what isn't to monitor you to, you know, really kind of like help you through the process and somebody who's really knowledgeable about weight loss and is not going to put you on additional medications, but is instead committed to try to help you get off medications mm-hmm. for the most part through positive, healthy lifestyle and nutrition. Mm-hmm. 
So now you know a bit more about Eric as a writer and some of the obstacles he overcame along with the revelations and triumphs. Before I leave Eric and Petey and move to the artists of Salem Reads, I want to play one more clip. Picture Eric now after several years of diet and discipline and exercise. He's achieved his goal of saving his life with the help of Petey. So I asked Eric, how do you feel now? What's ahead of you? After I lost my weight, I'd never done any running until I lost my weight. I lost all of my weight just by walking and eating healthy food. But after I lost my weight, I went back to my doctor, Dr. Preeti, and I said, you know, well, what do I do now? I have all this energy. I'm bouncing off the ceilings and I'm just, I've got this tremendous energy and I want to just jump and dance around all the time. She said, you need to find a form of exercise that you don't hate. And that was very profound to me because I'd always hated exercise. I'd never wanted to do anything. And so what did you do with this newly found abundance of energy? He took up running and he trained for and qualified for and was accepted into running the Boston Marathon. He was 60 years old and he would no doubt have done well, but he was slated to run it in 2020. And we all know how things like the Boston Marathon got deep sixed in 2020. For the last five years now, the artists of Salem Reads have been reading the chosen book and have created their interpretations of the books through various art forms. Their work was then displayed for the duration of February on the floor of the main Salem Library. This year will be, well, similar but different. The Salem Library is closed, that's true, but Brent at the Elsinore Gallery on Ferry Street will host the artist's work this year. I'll provide details at the end of the broadcast. I interviewed several of the uh, 18 uh, artists uh, who are participating in this year's Salem Reads. Uh, Jim Richards, Tara Choate, Diane Trevette, John Money. Natalie Hendricks, Margot McCafferty, and the creator of Talking About Art, Eric West. There were, of course, a multitude of visuals and intangibles expressed throughout the book. Some were obvious and some were not so apparent. But it's the artists who read and, and interpret and ultimately express visually or through poetry or 2D work what it was that especially inspired them to create. I asked each of them, what was inspiring for you, and what are you in the process of creating that interprets your inspiration? Let me lead off with Eric West. Eric is creating a unique piece in that the medium he uses is linoleum, and whose form takes on an iconographic expression. When you own a dog, um if you aren't lucky enough to have your own backyard to let them out into, uh, that's one of the things you have to do, especially living in the city, is put the dog on the leash and walk out with them, and it makes you walk. And I think that was a key point. You can, you can take care of yourself and do anything you want to do, good or bad, to your body, but you've got this dependent little soul in your apartment living with you that if you don't want them to 
pee or poo on your floor, then you're going to have to go out with them. So twice a day, you're going to have to put clothes on, get the leash, and take a half-hour walk with them. And without that, it it may still have been a successful move to lose weight by changing diet, but it probably wouldn't have happened as quickly and his, uh, uh, his mental outlook without the additional exercise probably wouldn't uh, have stayed as healthy as it did. That spiritual side to it too, Joel, I, I wanted to mention that, that that's actually what, I'm, I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but uh, that is what caught me for an image. And that's uh, part of what I've been developing for the show in my work is um, sort of an icon, dogs as icons, um, you know, like the Russian icons with the, the halos and all. And uh, so that's, that's my take on it. And Margot McCafferty seems to have been amused by piles of laundry. Margot, what are you creating? There was a theme throughout the book uh, about not judging people by their appearances. And it starts out with, as you mentioned, being, him being severely judged because of his weight and uh, you know, the airplane incident. Um, and he talks about how he didn't know about becoming a vegan because didn't hippies do that? And was, he was a little judgmental about that kind of lifestyle. Then he thought Cassandra, the, the animal uh, shelter person, sounded like she was really with it. But then he met her and she looked kind of, she had piercings, I think, and spiky hair. And he, he says, oh, maybe I shouldn't judge people by the cover. And but by the end of the book, his, his okay, this is a spoiler, his... Um, old high school girlfriend he meets her and she's so afraid she that he's going to judge her because of her weight but he doesn't so it's nice to see the transition from being very being judged being very judgmental and then reaching a point where no he he doesn't judge people by their covers i am in the process and it was it was there are a lot of um references you know very visual descriptions of things i was really uh, I almost painted the pile of laundry in the in, in the beginning of the book. I thought, oh, that's so fascinating because Eric, um, Eric was too it was too hard for him to go out and do the laundry, and so he had this mountain he gets rid of. But I decided on uh, eventually on doing um, a dog at a dinner party, and I've been using. Um, we have a, a an elderly pit mastiff here who is about the same size as Petey. And so um, that's my model, and I'm trying to modify it so that uh, it looks like an Australian shepherd. So um, that's what I'm working on. Right now. And here's Natalie Hendricks. I just really one, – one part I loved was when he went from not knowing that – baked beans have a bunch of sugar in it to turning, you know, he knew nothing about really about cooking, about food. And he, he tackled it though. He went to the store and he did his best. And then he didn't, well, kind of what you mentioned, he didn't let the fear or just the, I don't know what I'm doing, stop him from taking steps to learn. 
And what I found interesting in the book was that it really started, at least when I was reading, it felt like it started about his weight and the dog. But really, it was just his enthusiasm over what he was learning that he chose to tackle. And I enjoyed, I really enjoyed and was inspired by. So I got to make his nose a little better, but I wanted to do the variety of actual heirloom tomatoes. And um, yeah, just kind of a, I wanted to do it peaty colored. So he is a black and white dog, but the colors come out of the tomatoes. And I just like the combination of, uh, just the bits of joy he found in life once he had a dog that helped him get out and experience it and helped him overcome very real judgments as has, you know, been shared here. Yeah. I thought it was a really neat part of the book. So would you hold that up again? <laughs> <laughs> I feel embarrassed. It's not done. Oh, that's okay. So you, you've got, I, I love the, the, the close up look that you have there. And as a photographer, <clears throat> what that strikes me as is getting up close with a wide angle lens. So dominant and center in, what is this? About a nine by 10 piece? I think it's, it might be a foot, maybe, yeah, maybe nine by 10 or, or 12, 12 by. Okay. So it's a rectangular nine by 12 and against a blue background, a pastel blue background, you've got this wide angle look of this dog looking directly out at, at us. Big black nose. I mean, it's just perfect, you know, puppy look, as it were. And then to the left and right, you have a, a series of three tomatoes, one yellow, one purple, it looks like. And the other one's sort of a hothouse red, as it were, going on. And I love the expression on the on the dog, just that what <laughs> kind of expression. Artist John Money chimes in about how Petey chasing after ducks at the pond influenced his work. Well, yeah, I I have I have a dog, and I moved uh, to a new town about five years ago. And uh, like Eric just said, uh, I don't have a fenced yard, so I have to take it for a walk twice a day. And the first year I was here. I met over 20 people in my neighborhood just walking my dog. They're out when you have a chance to meet them and talk to them. So having the dog and taking it out for a walk was part of the start of his social life. He he met people that he normally wouldn't have met. Yeah. Even with the the pandemic these days, I see my neighbors. I've met neighbors that I've never met before because they're out walking their dogs. And they're home. They're not, yeah. (laughs) You know, we have to talk uh, six feet away from each other, but there's still people I've never met before, and they they live in my neighborhood. Uh, And it's because of their dogs that we met. I enjoy his his dog and his walks with the dog. So the, the one time I remember is when one of the first times he got to the park and he let Petey off the leash, and uh, he, he didn't know what he would do with the water. And the dog ran down and jumped into the pond and scared all the ducks. <laughs> so that was the kind of the image that I portrayed in my my painting. And so it's a watercolor, and uh, just showing showing Eric, and uh, and then the, then the dog jumping in the pond, and, and the ducks flying off. So Eric is in the foreground, red cap, leash in hand as the dog heads off into, you know, directly diving into the pond there. 
Now, this is a watercolor piece, and approximately what are the, the uh, dimensions? It's uh, 11 by 15. 11 by 15. Oh, I see. Oh, I just, now that you hold it still, I see that the ducks are just taking off off the pond there. Right. <laughs> that is wonderful. Excellent. <laughs> Tara Choate went in a different direction. She started with various words and themes from the book. Tara? I did a... I did a more uh, abstract piece. Um, I I wrote down a lot of the words that I thought um, were a lot of the words about and themes that I thought were in the book, and then I wove them together and then uh, did some painting on them because the theme that I really wanted to the theme that I really wanted to talk about in the painting was the idea of community, you know, the weaving together of community, and also of the isolation of, of being overweight, um, which I thought, like I said, I thought that was a big theme. And in the end, I um, ended up using the woven pieces uh, for a background and then uh, put um, a more representational uh, pair of uh, shoes uh, in it. Um, because I thought that in the shoes were kind of the method of, of bringing it all together. That's interesting. How, how does, how does that relate? Explain why the use of shoes, um, basically coalesces the, the, the concept here. Um, well, the name of, of the piece, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure right now, <laughs> I'm still finalizing it. I'm pretty sure the piece is going, is going to be, um, your shoes, your journey. And it's, it's, I guess, like I said, about kind of this proactive step. Um, he didn't just wish, he didn't, he didn't wait. He, he, he took steps. He literally took steps. to to change his life but there were themes and communities around him that he that he entered into and that helped him along the way you know and correct me if i'm wrong here in making an assumption but one of the things that that came up earlier here in, in just this afternoon's discussion was the idea of being judgmental and so when you mentioned shoes, the th- first thing that popped into my mind is the old axiom, you know, walking a mile in your shoes. You know, d- does that d- does that play into to your piece as well? Yeah, um, that's why I thought shoes would be such a good metaphor. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I'm I toyed with the idea of, of naming the piece a mile in your either a mile in my shoes or a mile in your shoes. But I, in the end, I'm pretty sure, you know, it was, it, it's going to be your shoes, your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still working on some stuff. But again, I just thought there were so many elements of the book that wove together. Um, and that it, it, it was important to realize that it isn't, you know, it isn't just that he went vegan. It's, it's that he, he changed his lifestyle and he made an effort to get out into the community and he adopted a pet and he changed jobs and he started dating and he learned to cook, you know, and I mean, there were a lot of ands in there. Um, and again, his decision to change didn't come out of just one moment. 
it came out of a lot of things. I mean, the where we started talking about the plane ride, that was definitely a catalyst, but there were a lot of other things that happened. Um, you know, he talks about basically, you know, going into, you know, having a mini stroke or, you know, a food coma, you know, being in pain when he moves around, you know, all of those things did, did bring him to where they were. And, and I said, so I thought the weaving and the shoes were the best way to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, not <clears throat> motivation, not the least of which was when the doctor informed him, you know, you basically have two choices, you know, either lose it or buy a burial plot. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about a motivator. That's one. That's, that's pretty stark. <laughs> Jim Richards was taken more by Petey himself, but more as he relates to his own personal experience with a rescue dog, also named Petey. You know, I really enjoyed the commitment. You know, he set some goals and he worked for them. And I really, really also enjoyed the relationship between him and his animal. You know, I have some friends who take in rescue dogs and they, uh, they teach the dogs how to, uh, interact, uh, with their environment in ways that they couldn't otherwise do on their own. Uh, one of them, uh, specifically, his name is Petey as well, you know, spelled differently, but, uh, another Petey. And he was, uh, born blind in one eye and he had no paws. So they taught him how to hop around to walk. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was a very, uh, loving dog, you know, very, uh, uh, caring with, the, uh, with their, his caretakers. And led a very fulfilled life, I think, because of the interaction uh, with their care with the caretakers that were teaching them how to hop and move around. And they were very loving, and he was very loving back. So they had a really great relationship. You know, a lot of synergy was happening uh, because of uh, the effort they put into the relationship. Had taken one of the caretakers of the of the dog. I don't like owner for some reason. It always sounds like oh, we, yeah. but the the caretaker of the of the dog. Uh, looking at the dog and the dog interacting with the, the viewer and had a little companion piece with it. Uh, they had uh, had a little cart that they could put the dog into to where he could use his hind legs to move for propel himself forward and have his body suspended, cradled basically inside of this cart. So I did a little uh, painting of that uh, across some clouds, you know, kind of in a blue sky and some clouds. Uh, he's has been deceased, so I put him in the in the in the clouds there, basically in this companion piece, and also created a little cloud with a, a well, kind of a dogish shape uh, in the background. A little subtle, I hope, inside of it. But I really liked it to more of showing the interaction between the two, uh, the loving nature of the caretaker towards the dog, and the, the happy nature of the of the dog because of that that caring nature that he had. Well, wasn't that fun? I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast featuring this year's Salem Reads Book of Choice, Walking with Petey by Eric O'Gray and the artist of Salem Reads. This year, the Salem Reads program will be presented virtually. It will include favorite activities like the book giveaway, documentary movie, panel discussions, art exhibit, and other programs, including a talk with the author in February of 2021 here. 
you can see the event calendar for all of the details. To, the way to get to that is to go to their website. Uh, that is sblfoundation.org. Walking with Petey is available to read in print or listen online at your convenience. Print books will be available via Hold for Curbside Pickup. The ebook and downloadable audiobook are available in both English and Spanish on the cloud library and uh, library apps. The artwork created by the Salem Reads artists will be on display at the Elsinore Gallery located in downtown Salem at 444 Ferry Street. Their web address is elsinoregallery.com. The show will be on display throughout the month of February. The gallery hours are Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 5. And again, their web address is elsinoregallery.com. And uh, feel free, go to the uh, Talking About Art Facebook page and make your comments about today's broadcast. I'd love to hear from you. So my next show will be the second Friday of February, February 12th. And uh, not sure what I will feature, but things are changing, so we shall see. You can be notified of my next show and will, and all upcoming shows and events by going to our Talking About Art Facebook page. Hit the like button and you'll get all the updates about shows and events. Or you can just email me at talkingaboutart at kmuz.org and I'll add you to our direct email announcement list. Our previous uh, streaming service, Radio Free America, has ceased operations completely, so we have adopted Online Radio Box as our new online uh, streaming service. You can find Online Radio Box at onlineradiobox.com. Do a quick search for KMUZ, bookmark it, and you're all set for the future. You will also be able to access uh, today's show and all eight-plus years of broadcasts in the Talking About Art uh, KMUZ archives at kmuz.org. Talking About Art is presented every second and fourth Fridays of the month, uh, but on every first and third Friday at 9 a.m., I invite you to tune in to Anne McBride's and Ed Shope's Theater Talk. Theater Talk is all about live theater in the Mid-Willamette Valley, and they feature interviews with local directors and actors. And uh, coming up, just after 10 o'clock, stay tuned uh, right now for poet Steve Slamenda's program, Poetry on the Air. His show features the poets and their events in the Mid-Willamette Valley, and that starts just after 10 o'clock. And, well, yes, we are an all-volunteer community radio station, uh, and we thrive only because of your financial help and support. So if you enjoy theater talk, poetry on the air, talking about art, go to the kmuz.org website, hit the Contribute Now button, and have at it. By the way, your donation is, of course, tax-deductible. Thank you very much for your support. The music I used today was by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. I'll get today's broadcast entered into the KMUZ program archives, and then I'll post its link on the Talking About Art Facebook page when it's ready to go. Talking About Art is great, but now it's your turn to go out and do something about art. I'm your host, Joel Zach. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.